Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today to share with you a recording of the second webinar in our Intersection of Energy and Community four-part series. In today's discussion, Fresh Energy's Ben Passer, Lead Director of the Energy Access and Equity Program, is joined by Jamez Staples of Renewable Energy Partners, Bob Blake of Solar Bear, and Nina Axelson of Grid Catalyst to discuss the workforce of the future and specifically how Minnesota can ensure broad access to jobs in the clean energy economy. Special thank you and shout out to Great River Energy for sponsoring today's conversation. And with that, Let's get started. All right, I think we can go ahead and get started. Um, well, hello again, everyone. Welcome and thank you to everyone joining us today for part two of Fresh Energy's Intersection of Energy and Community webinar series. I'm Ben Passer, Lead Director of Energy Access and Equity at Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota-based nonprofit working toward a vision of a just, prosperous, and resilient future powered by a shared commitment to a carbon neutral economy. Too often throughout history, Communities including Black, Indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ plus individuals, individuals in rural geographies, and many others have been left behind in times of transformational change. As the energy sector strives to aggressively decarbonize to mitigate the impacts of climate change, it has an obligation to learn from past transitions when policy choices excluded marginalized communities at best and actively harmed them at worst. Today, we're going to discuss how we can dramatically reduce carbon emissions in a way that improves our communities and benefits everyone. And our focus is the workforce of the future. Over the next hour, our panel of experts will discuss how Minnesota can ensure broad access to jobs in the clean energy economy. According to a recent report from our friends at Clean Energy Economy Minnesota, our state had over 61,000 clean energy jobs in 2019 with thousands more in the broader utility industry, but over 11,000 of those jobs were lost during 2020. As these critical sectors get back to work in the months ahead, it's important to ensure that the energy workforce includes an equitable and diverse representation of Minnesotans, including small businesses, women, people of color, and veterans. Before we get too far along, I just want to extend a shout out and thank you to all of our promotional partners who helped spread the word about this event. Thank you to AIA, CERTS, Climate Generation, Midwest Building Decarbonization Coalition, Minnesota Electrical Association, Mincia, Pollen, RMI, Sierra Club, The Nature Conservancy, and WSB. Thank you. I'm very excited to be joined today by Nina Axelson, founder of Grid Catalyst, Bob Blake, founder and CEO of Solar Bear, and Jamez Staples, president and CEO of Renewable Energy Partners. We're hoping that our guests today and those listening to the podcast leave with a clear understanding that the broad references to clean energy jobs that we've been hearing in the media and at the federal and state level amount to actual employment opportunities for real people and what it will take to maximize these opportunities here in Minnesota for equitable job growth. We're going to start out with a panel discussion and then move into Q&A for the last 15 minutes or so. Many of you submitted questions in advance, but if you didn't, please use the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen, not the chat, and uh, we will do our best to answer your questions throughout our time today. Now, feel free to start asking questions using the Q&A function as they come up. And for folks who are here in attendance, Zoom's Q&A has an upvote function. So you'll see uh, the questions that are coming in. And if there's a question you see that you want answered, feel free to vote for it. And that will let us know what questions you all are interested in having answered by our panelists here today. All right, now let's shift gears to our panelists. Um, we're going to be covering a lot today, so I want to dive right in. So Bob, let's go ahead and get started with you. Um, we're gonna shift gears in a little bit to talking more about your, the details of your projects and your organization, um, but I'd love to just start with kind of lightning round introductions. So in a minute or so, um, if you'd share a little bit more about yourself and your organization, uh, just for means of introduction. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Um, <clears throat> my name is Robert Blake and I am the owner of Solar Bear. Uh, we're a solar installation company. Um, 
uh, serving the state of Minnesota and um, currently we are uh, installing a project on the Red Lake Indian Reservation, uh, which I am also a uh, tribal citizen of the Red Lake Nation. Um, and also I'm the executive director of Native Sun, uh, Community Power Development, we're a nonprofit lo located in Minneapolis also. Um, and uh, also I'm on the workforce develop, or the Minnesota, or I'm sorry, the Go Minnesota Governor's Workforce Development Board and the Ramsey County uh, Workforce Innovation Board, WIB. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Bob. And really glad to have you here. Um, Jamez, let's go to you next for a minute introduction of yourself and, and your organization. Sure. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, Jamez Staples, CEO of Renewable Energy Partners and uh, Northgate Development. And so Northgate Development is a real estate uh, holding company which is responsible for the Regional Apprenticeship Training Center, which we are developing here in North Minneapolis, where I'm a resident, and also uh, the CEO of uh, Renewable Energy Partners, a solar installation and development firm. I serve on numerous boards. I would say the Energy Utility Diversity Group, which I, which I also uh, was with then on the, Ener uh, the Energy Vision Advisory Committee and a host of others. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamez, and really glad to have you here as well. And last but not least, uh, Nina, we'll turn to you for a minute introduction of yourself and your organization. Thank you, Ben. I know it's the lightning round, uh, but I do want to just express gratitude to Fresh Energy and the organizers of this event and my fellow panelists. Uh, it's just such an exciting time for these conversations and a lot of important work to do, so I appreciate you bringing us together. Uh, so Nina Axelson, I'm the founder of Grid Catalyst. We are a new clean energy accelerator. We actually launched last month as a signature program of Clean Energy Economy Minnesota. So really excited to be working with that team. That's the go-to business resource in the clean energy space here in Minnesota. So we will be launching our first cohort uh, this fall of clean energy startups and trying to really move the dial on innovation, new business leadership, uh, really creating a space for innovation, entrepreneurship, and the clean energy space here in the Midwest with a focus on demonstration and uh, making sure that we can really raise up that next generation of uh, leadership and success here in this category, um, as well as trying to tackle the very specific northern climate decarbonization challenges we have. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nina, and thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, so as we'll, I think, hear throughout the afternoon um, here today, um, I think of you all as, as visionaries, as thought leaders in really helping to develop an equitable clean energy economy and the workforce that it will take to drive that clean energy transition here in Minnesota. Um, so I'd love to start with a question, um, really getting to your vision. Um, so what philosophy or approach do you all bring to your work? And for each of you, um, what is an example of a project that you're working on that embodies this approach? Um, so Bob, let's, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like the world has given us this big problem, right? It's like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sick right now. The world is sick right now and it's, it's throwing up on us. And, but it's telling us though, that, you know, we could solve a lot of our other problems with this big problem, you know? And, and um, that's why, you know, when I, when I think about the work that, you know, um, I did with the Department of Corrections and training inmates on how to do solar installation with the Midwest Renewable Energy Association uh, partnership, um, you know, it's the whole idea there was to fight mass incarceration with climate change, fight climate change and mass incarceration, right? So, you know, we've got this big problem, you know, guys, I need your help you know, fighting this thing and, you know, jump in here and, and give me a hand, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I, I feel like that, that right there is like my philosophy and like, we've got this big problem. Let's, let's, let's fix a lot of our little problems with it. Right. Let's fix our other problems with it. And so um, I would say that the returning citizens initiative kind of exemplifies that philosophy and um, you know, that, that idea of, of the way that I'm looking at all this, you know? So um, yeah. That's great. Thanks so much, Bob. Um, Jamez, how about you? Your your philosophy and approach and an example of a project that embodies that? Sure. Um, so one of the things that uh, we see that, that me and my company we all value is the, the, the opportunity to present the issue of address the issue of climate change and poverty at the same time, acknowledging that, you know, without the workforce, 
and without the lowest income people, the lower income people, people of color who are mostly impacted by these issues, get actively getting engaged, becoming more aware of what's actually happening, and then actively participating as an opportunity to help enhance their own personal financial future, you know, it's a it, that's a great opportunity that's being presented. And so one of the uh, the elements that we're bringing as a as a mechanism to address that issue is the Regional Clinicianship Training Center here in North Minneapolis on the highest use transit line in the state of Minnesota, because when you look at where the training programs are, they're not accessible. Uh, two hours in some instances, one way to get to some of the programs and some of the other ones aren't even accessible by, by, uh, by transit. So uh, by bringing those two pieces together, making sure that the lowest income people, or the lowest rung have that opportunity, we can help to actually uh, broaden out that scale of, of the workforce and create that opportunity for folks so they can participate. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jamez. And Nina, how about you? Your your philosophy, your approach, and uh, example of a project that you're you're working on that embodies that. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. You know, coming from <clears throat> the world of kind of big engineering and and utility work, um, I've seen a lot of really incredible leadership in the public sector and private sector on energy and climate change, and I have deep appreciation for that. But I also think we're at a time where the democratization of energy and the access, who's in power, who has influence is really shifting. And I think that's an incredible opportunity if we if we make the most of, of that. So I'm really looking to see how a clean energy accelerator plays a role in what kind of leaders who are in that bigger system right now can emerge to lead their own ventures so that we can have community-driven ownership and community-driven leadership um, and that that has good partnership with these bigger entities too, that we don't have an either or situation. So I think as we look at how the solutions are gonna to come to the market and how we deal with climate change, we have that opportunity to also really shift um, leadership, influence, voice, and who's at the table for, for um, leading that as well as who gets considered in the work and the investments and the infrastructure. So. Grid Catalyst really wants to be a part of opening up some new lanes for, for those opportunities. Great. Thanks so much, Nina. And I think what I heard from each of you and, and what I think personally excites me about uh, the leadership of all of our panelists here today and the work that you all are doing is this idea of system change. I think all of you are really thinking about how do we move systems, not just around the energy sector and addressing climate change, but around all of the things that overlap with that, around democratic participation and the economy and housing and all of those items. And I think it just is so exciting to see that you all are uh, experts in, in really building out this clean energy workforce, but you're doing it in a way that addresses other parts of our society and our systems. And I think um, I'm just so excited to, to hear that from all of you and to dig in dig in even deeper. Um, so I think to that point, um, you know, you've shared more around your philosophy and approach, um, but I'd love to, to hear more from you all, kind of in your own words, how uh, your organizations and your projects differ from what folks might think of as, you know, traditional workforce development. Um, I think we, you know, are generally familiar with kind of longstanding workforce development programs and strategies, um, but how do your your perspectives and, and your projects uh, differ from that? And who are your key partners in advancing that work? Um, Bob, let's let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, I would say that, you know, key partners would probably be the MREA, the Midwest Renewable Energy Association. Um, you know, the been, I went to the Solar Training Academy in, and I thought that the program was great. And, um, you know, um, and just with, with the training that I've had, you know, been able to, you know, um, do the stuff that I've been able to do so far. And, you know, and, and I, you know, and that's how like, you know, I went out to, to North Dakota to Standing Rock and we did a training there with like, uh, you know, tribal members from like 20 different tribes. So, you know, it's like, you know, workforce development. Yeah. Like you're, you're in these metro areas, but like, there's also these rural areas. There's these other areas that need to be identified and, and like worked with, you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, we have to go to them. Like we have to bring this to them. So I was, and I, and this is something I advocate on the governor's workforce board too, but I'm like, you know, guys, we've got 11 tribal workforce centers. We got 11 tribal nations, 11 tribal workforce centers. And they are like the best kept secret in the state of Minnesota. We need to start utilizing it. We need to start working with them. So um, we've got to go out to these real areas and we need to get them 
on board with this because um and and and, and they want to do this too so i'd say that's how maybe i differ a little bit is like going to where i believe that you know we can inf and we can also influence right we can also influence these areas too um because uh you know we need them to be on board because climate change you know it doesn't know any boundaries so absolutely thanks so much bob and agreed it's so important to meet meet people where they are literally and figuratively so that's that's really great um Jemez, how about you um your how your projects you know differ from a traditional workforce development approach and, and your key partners sure um so you know our projects are a lot different because we focus on impact projects that we want to be partners. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the training center is a key, key component of that. And that's all the nonprofit stuff and partners that we put together. So meaning that we don't, you know, aside from owning a piece of property, we're using that property for its best and highest use. And that took a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of resources to maintain and manage that building over the last four and a half years, five years now, or I'm sorry, four and a half years, because no one's helping you really in that process, right? You're just kind of like, you've got a vision, you've got an idea, and you want to use this thing so you can help address. So I wanted to use it so I could help address the issues in my community, specifically the North Minneapolis, but also the broader region at large too. And so our partners in that have been the city of Minneapolis because one of our projects that I didn't mention earlier is, is the low-income community solar garden, which the city of Minneapolis is an anchor subscriber in, as is the Minneapolis public schools. And those two partners right there are institutions, major institutions that have a lot of influence and sway on people, right, in our community. And so we work with MREA, just as Bob, Bob and I serve on the board together. In addition to that, we're working with Avivo and Project for Pride Living. Avivo uh, is a licensed post-secondary educational institution. Avivo, actually, I'm sorry, and, uh, Project for Pride Living engages youth. They have a, uh, a program called the LEAP, LEAP Network, which is the Learn, Earn and Achieve Potential Program. And what that is, that's a program that they have, uh, they work, they have uh, alternative schools that they work directly with. And those schools, those, those young people that only get 60% of the funding of a traditional district don't traditionally get career and technical education. And our goal is to make sure that this facility is an, is that, is an asset to them in that regard. In addition, Excel Energy is a partner because as you know, uh, the Community Solar Gardens program wouldn't be possible without them. And so we're working with all these partners to bring not only just low-income community solar gardens uh, uh, to, to the community, but also to make sure that people have an opportunity to work on these types of projects and, and earn revenue off of them. Great. Thanks so much, Jamez. And I, I love the diversity of the sectors that you highlight, highlighted in those partnerships. I think, you know, thinking about housing partners and institutional partners in, in municipalities and, you know, the um, just opportunities there and just the different intervention points to reach folks, um, I think is, is really exciting to hear. I, I love um, just what you highlighted there. Um, Nina, yeah, how about you? When you, partners together, when you bring all these partners together, it, it ultimately starts to bring a different level of synergy and you can start to address a lot of other issues at the same time too. Absolutely. I, I think that's really well said. Thank you, Jamez. Um, Nina, how about you? How your, your organization and projects differ from traditional approaches and, and your key partners? Yeah, thanks, Ben. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad to say that there's that common thread in what Bob and Jemez are saying as far as uh, community-led uh, initiatives. And I think the more that we can give the community the opportunity to define what success they want to see. So if they want to see climate change and affordable housing come together and uh, climate change and, uh, you know, renewable energy, clean tech come together, that we empower that at that local level. Um, so again, really great that we have big initiatives and big partners that are um, promoting success and change. And we couldn't do it without that happening as well. But this opportunity to have um, folks who haven't previously either had the funding, the resources, the support, the pathways uh, to design their own businesses and initiatives. Um, I think that that's uh, a really important aspect of this because then their solutions are more likely to reflect the needs and the values of the community where they're leading. They're able to hire within those communities. They're able to develop workforce training as, as our examples show here that reflect that need in the community. So I mean, even as we look at the, the jobs profile, and again, my, you know, my key partner is Clean Energy Economy Minnesota who produces their um, jobs report with their partners each year. And so we look and we see lots of energy efficiency jobs and I'm really glad we have these solar and wind jobs. Um, they're really strong components of the workforce profile here in Minnesota. 
but recognizing that as this energy system is adapting really quickly and technology is adapting, um, that we create the opportunity for those jobs to also be sourced here and also develop here. And the, the manufacturing and assembly has that opportunity here so that we're not just diversifying who leads and who hires and who works, um, but also just all those uh, innovations that come with it. So hopefully, uh, maybe a little overly optimistic here, but I really think that that's that big opportunity in Minnesota because we have that um, incredible community leadership. So let's make sure that these innovators and entrepreneurs are given as much uh, support as they need to to rise up within that um, within this space. Awesome, thank you, Nina. And I I I for one love the optimism. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, so I think to that point, um, you know, we I would love to turn more to what are the opportunities and, and also what are the barriers? Um, you know, we, we know, I think as all of you have acknowledged that this work takes time. Um, there's a lot to, a lot to address. There's, you know, partners, uh, partnerships to develop and that work just takes time to build out. Um, but I think having said that, um, I would love to envision a scenario where, where change could happen overnight. Um, so if someone came along and gave you three wishes um, to address equitable job growth in the energy sector, uh, what would they be? Um, so Bob, let's let's start with you and and your three wishes. Oh well, first wish is uh, more uh, um, buying from our political leaders, like the just the the them being a part of this and them believing in climate change, <laughs> the climate crisis. So that'd be the first wish. Second wish, um, you know, I I've I've been advocating this now for a little while now, but you know, I want. Uh, reservations tribal nations to be classified as to be classified as renewable energy zones so res r-e-z and, and that's kind of what we call the reservations is res that's our little slang term for it but I, I think it would make perfect sense and i think through investment investment tax credits or maybe new market credits you know um so i'm not talking reparations here but i mean i'm just talking something you know that that um you know that would benefit the investors and whatnot so that would be my second wish um is for something like that to happen and you know the third wish is you know somehow just how do we all work together like you know the like NAPSI, like the national association of minority contractors the ibw you know uh it just you know it just just how do we all like you know come together and just work together for the common good like that those are my three wishes like that's where if we could get those together i'd be just happy camper that's great thank you bob and i i love the uh double meaning of of res in your your second wish there wish there that's that's awesome um all right james how about you you and your your three wishes um well i mean there are a lot of wishes that i could have but uh, i would probably say the continued bipartisan support now first of all i want to say bob had a really good one with the ibw i wish we could get more buy-in and some of these other partners uh but mine i would say I, i'd say continued bipartisan support uh we did receive an appropriation from the legislature this year and that was we're very appreciative of that uh, bipartisan support that that helps to to uh create this access point for for training to uh start to create jobs because ultimately what happens is people end up on the tax road when they get good jobs um more compelling more compelling messaging around clean energy to reach more people um finding ways innovative ways to get the the lower income people who are focused more so on just keeping the lights on uh, so that they can understand that there's an opportunity for them to get clean energy and to make money on the process, you know, and uh, also, yeah, like I say, get clean energy too. And I would also then say more um, uh, partnerships, public-private partnerships, the corporate investments and the public uh, entities need to come together really to make this a, make this a front and center issue uh, and work together and find ways to, uh, to, to, to work with individuals like us on this panel right now because we have very innovative ideas. And, and the fact that we're here on this panel right now says something to, to the world in my mind, but to get them to actually move and do something is everything else. So that, those are my three wishes. That's really well said, Jumez, and, and important points. I think uh, to your first point around always wanting more wishes, uh, I was thinking you were maybe gonna wish for a million more wishes with your, your first wish, but <laughs> went a different direction there. All right, um, Nina, how about you? You and, and your three wishes. I'm going to write down the other wishes and like keep them on post-it notes <laughs> on my wall so we're all kind of remembering how important they are. Um, and, and, you know, my first one is going to emulate the what you already heard, um, which is we need to have 
more alignment about what's possible here. And uh, easier said than done, obviously, but when I, I come out of both an environmental background and a business background, and to me, I've always seen them as, as a joint opportunity and that we can act on climate while also creating a really strong economy. And so I, if I had one wish, it would be for that to be understood in a way that we didn't have to compete about um, aspects of this as if they were against each other. So, and I think that's what we're seeing with these types of conversations is uh, we want to create good jobs. We want to see strong business uh, leadership and growth, and we want to act on climate. And so the, that's, if, I, if you only gave me one wish, I feel like that that would resolve um, a, a lot of the other things. Uh, but if I'm going to get a couple more, uh, I would say that this idea of opening up the clean energy marketplace, and that's a really nebulous concept, but in this way of recognizing that um, I come from a niche energy industry that oftentimes people didn't know about and recognizing that uh, solar and wind are very important and battery storage is really exciting and electrification is a, a really important um, method of decarbonizing. But within that, there's all these other products that make the grid more adaptable to the future that we want. And there's gonna be widgets that need to be produced and there's software concepts that make it all come together. And so I think if uh, folks can both recognize and invest in that diversification of products and services, um, that's a really great way. And I think that that's what we're seeing from investors in this space right now. Uh, and I think that's what opens up a lot of smaller business opportunities uh, to complement the larger industries that we already have uh, doing really well in, in Minnesota. Uh, and then the last thing I think is empowering uh, beyond and you know, you have this word in the notes, Ben, but gatekeepers. I think there are some historic folks who have been really risk averse uh, to new technology. And I think that is shifting. And so, you know, if I were going to compel the people listening, it is if you have that opportunity to influence, to lean into uh, opening the door for a new opportunity, a new investment, a new technology. Uh, because even if you're not at the top of the food chain, you can still have influence over that. And the more that we really try and raise those voices and then lend the, that microphone to others, um, I think that that's gonna create those new job opportunities and new um, projects. And on, for us on demonstration, that's where that comes in because uh, if the first person says no and you don't get to talk to anybody else, we don't get these products into the marketplace. So um, they certainly have to meet technical and economic criteria, but I, I would just say that um, again, uh, willingness and openness and uh, sharing and decision-making. Maybe I just shoved like four wishes into my last one. I'm maybe cheating. Thanks, Nina. I, I think you win the award for most efficient use of wishes, uh, just from uh, the first, everything that you packed into the first and third there. Um, <laughs> but that I think uh, is a great segue into our, our closing question, um, your point around how people uh, listening to and, and watching this webinar um, can use their own influence um, to help really support this shift. And, and I think where we all um, want to see the clean energy economy grow. Um, so uh, I'll just close with, with each of you. Um, if you could tell someone who's interested in supporting equitable workforce development in clean energy through economic investment, policy development, you name it, um, one thing, what would you tell them? Um, one, one thing that they should act on um, as we, we close out here. Um, Bob, let's start with you. Yeah, um, you know, I, I've been working with the uh, Citizens Climate Lobby and, and um, doing some uh, writing uh, with them and doing stuff on carbon pricing. And that's, you know, I, I just really feel that, you know, if we could, you know, uh, how we do some pricing on carbon and use those funds to, you know, create investments in clean energy projects and create jobs, I... I I, I the, it just has to be a part of the of the of the the matrix now going forward. So um, that that's would probably be my advice is to support that type of um, uh, cause that that type of idea out there. Um, and and I think that that would uh, be a catalyst, a, a jump to 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 more clean energy jobs and and, and investment. And, um, around it and, and help us get off, help us get off the oil, man, help us get off the gas, you know what I mean? And, 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 and so I, I think that that would be something I would ask people to do is to support that. 
Thanks, Bob. Uh, Jamez, how about you? Um, I guess I'd tell someone, uh, you know, we're at a critical point right now. This is a major in, uh, inflection point in, the, in time. Uh, this is like the uh, industrial revolution all over again. And there are so many opportunities that this industry, this, this, this industry alone presents products, equipment, materials, um, you know, jobs, uh, technology, um, and, and even if you just look at it from the, from the business case alone, right? I mean, there's a ton of money to be made. There's a ton of good that can be done and you should want to be a part of it. So that's what I would probably tell them is that get off your duff and do something. Awesome. Thanks, Jamez. Uh, Nina, how about you? Well, I like Jamez. Uh, uh, that's a good call to action. Uh, so, you know, I would say that my my program with Grid Catalyst and the work that um, I've done in the energy industry is, is nothing without partnership. Um, so I would just really encourage those listening. I, I think we all know we can't do these things alone. Um, and so if you have a big idea, share it with someone so that it can get to the next level. If you're working on something, don't be afraid to reach out to someone to, to make it happen. And I think if you are someone in a position of power, let some other folks in to do the, the work with you and, and surround yourself with some folks who are going to challenge you and um, make you do things better. So I, I know partnership, again, is a little bit of a nebulous thing, but I, I um, we have too much of infighting and, and conflict in the world. So if, if we could maybe have more partnership and more openness, um, that's, that's really where I think we need to be to, to move forward. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nina. Um, so I just want to give a quick plug. We're at about halfway through our hour here today. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to drop them into the Q&A function. Um, again, don't use the chat. Um, use the Q&A function here on Zoom, um, and we'll populate those. And um, folks who are here in attendance, please feel free to um, upvote those questions if there's anything um, that piques your interest and you want to see um, our panelists here today um, answer for you all. Um, so before we shift gears, um, I'm going to uh, kind of wing it here and uh, share my my three wishes. I was so inspired by what all of you shared. Um, and I think just wanted to, to really build on that. I think my first wish um, would be more resources for equitable job growth. I think what I've heard from you all throughout the course of our conversation has been the importance of resources um, you know, to, to catalyze um, new ideas as Nina has touched on, or for Bob and Jamez, the resources necessary to really take these ideas to the next level and, and to help resource those key partnerships that are advancing your work. Um, and, you know, Jamez, I know, um, you know, your work in particular has been a, a big um, a big journey to, to really get those resources um, to, to move that forward. And so I think, you know, just from all of you and, and your leadership, I've seen the importance of uh, resources to support uh, to support this work. Um, I think, you know, my second wish really building off of what uh, Jamez shared would be just to, to get involved. Um, we've seen how important it is to engage in civic participation. We've seen just broadly across decision-making how important it is to make sure that folks are able to access the process. And so um, I think just being able to get involved, um, reducing barriers to get involved um, is, is, I think, a huge catalyst. Um, I hope for, for equitable job growth. And that would be uh, my second wish to really make sure that we're allowing um, folks who want to participate in the clean energy economy to do so. Um, and then I think, you know, my, my third wish um, would really just to be um, to continue to highlight the great work of, of organizations like this. Um, I think you all, as I mentioned at the start of our conversation, are visionary leaders. Um, you're, you're really advancing some really key ideas. Um, and I just, you know, really want to make sure that you all are continuing to um, be highlighted and, and that those key partnerships that you're working on with, with key allies um, are, are able to move forward. So um, I guess those would be my three wishes um, just to, to kind of close us out there. Um, so uh, before, before we move on, um, I do just want to take a moment to recognize um, Great River Energy. Um, they are our sponsor for today's conversation about the workforce of the future. So um, thank you so much to Great River Energy for sponsoring today's event. Um, now, before we start the Q&A, I just want to remind everyone that the intersection of energy and community will, will return next Thursday at noon with a conversation between my colleague Janice Watts, Senior Associate on Fresh Energy's Energy Access and Equity Team. She, along with Russ Stark, Chief Resilience Officer for the City of St. Paul, 
and Audrey, Audrey Arkin, a youth member on the St. Paul Climate Justice Advisory Board, will be discussing authentic community engagement. So I hope you will join us again next Thursday at noon. And while we're on the subject of events, registration is now open for our virtual benefit breakfast on October 14th, featuring award-winning climate tech entrepreneur, Danelle Baird, CEO of Brooklyn based block power, that is a tongue twister, an organization proving that businesses can tackle carbon pollution while making a profit and creating family supporting jobs. Register at fresh-energy.org slash benefit breakfast. All right, and we will now uh, switch gears to the Q&A. Um, there's been a couple of um, questions already dropping in the, the Q&A function here on Zoom. Please feel free to uh, keep adding your questions as the conversation goes on. Um, I would love to start with a question from Janet, um, and this was submitted um, prior to our, our webinar today. Um, but we've heard a lot of conversation around um, the American Rescue Plan, um, stimulus funds, and really just, I think, you know, to our earlier conversation, the influx of resources to support uh, recovery in our communities uh, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so Janet asked, how can St. Paul and Minneapolis best use American Rescue Plan funds to develop a workforce to electrify homes and commercial businesses and to build and promote renewable energy. Nina, maybe I'll start with you. Knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't work on uh, some of these current community-based projects as closely as um, Bob Jamez do. So um, really interested to hear what they'll say about it. but. But I, I will say um, what I'm hearing is some of the, the immediate demands. I'm really hoping that there's a lot of balance between um, some opportunities right in front of us as there's other infrastructure investment happening in the cities that we can, um, where things may have been cut a little tight on budget, look at uh, whether some of those things could be improved. So when we're um, building out infrastructure, we haven't been able to do the energy efficiency or the climate considerations. Um, seeing some of the, the resources go into making sure that we are investing in long-term um, benefit. I, I think that that's uh, an important aspect of, of this work because I've worked on too many large-scale redevelopment projects where uh, some more climate advantageous technology came in, but it was right at the same cost. And so it doesn't get the win. Um, so I'm really hoping that we just are able to improve and build on where there's already investment happening. Um, certainly the opportunities to make sure that there are uh, there's local job creation and um, stabilization within, you know, whether that's um, low income energy efficiency investments and um, where we know people are hurting the most that that is it needs to obviously be a priority. Um, and then the last thing is this, we are, we've said it over and over again in this session, there is systemic change that needs to happen. And so making sure that some of that pot of money goes into not just infrastructure investment as um, long-term change, but system changes to make sure that, again, we are lifting up workforce development opportunities and training centers and, um, you know, accelerators for uh, not just our, our system, but just are we putting that funds into the people that are going to create the next thing we need? Uh, so that long-term vision of uh, making sure there's enough room at the table for, the, for, for everybody. So. I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Nina. Um, Bob or, or Jamez, any thoughts from you on how significant funds could be used to support these efforts, especially at the local level? Yeah, um, just, you know, Ben, I mean, communication, cooperation, collaboration, right? Amongst the, amongst the, diff, you know, amongst, you know, the governor's workforce board, the, the you know, the Ramsey workforce board, the Hennepin County, um, you know, this this is this is so much money coming into just Minneapolis and St. Paul, right? Like, there's got to be that coordination, right? Uh, amongst because what happens is everybody starts doing their own thing, and we're doubling up, and you know, we're losing sight of everything, and then we say we can't we can't do this because we don't have enough money for that. And if we just would have coordinated and worked together, you know what I mean? So that's what I see that needs to happen, at least as I look at all this and I see what's being talked about. So just that just that collaboration and just everybody communicating with each other because you know we can't drop the ball on this man this is just a once in a lifetime thing and you know we really need to work together so you know uh, everybody's got to you know uh, check their ego at the door and, and just basically 
you know, do what's right for, 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 for the greater good, so to speak. That's what I would say. That's great. Thanks, Bob. And you coined, you coined the three C's for us, collaboration, coordination, and communication. I love that. Um, Jamez, how about you? I'm a big fan of what Bob said, uh, but I'll take it a step further. I would say that, you know, the cities need to, and, and, and wherever this money's coming from, it's all government money, right? We need to be working with the private sector also. I think that, you know, once we can incentivize the private sector to do more, um, be it as subscribers in partnership and utilize their roofs for solar um, or uh, support the workforce and workforce initiatives that, are, that need to take place in order to shore up the, the, the shortage in our economy because we're uh, lacking, the, we have a mismatch of skills happening right now. And if we can get people on a trajectory, at least entered into the workforce so they can sustain themselves right now and then help them pathway themselves to the next level of wherever they wanna go, I think that that's gonna be a great opportunity. But um, I mean, government can't fix this problem itself and, and the private sector needs to be involved as does philanthropy. So. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of Bob's three C's, but I think we need to just take it a couple steps further. Thanks, Jamez. That's that's great. Um, so I want to shift gears to uh, the, our, our Q&A box here. Um, and Dave Hunter asked, um, jobs for folks with lower incomes, um, under-resourced under people, and BIPOC communities will often require education even before training. And I think some of our conversation has uh, uh, alluded to this. Um, so how are people going to get educated and trained um, so that they are eligible for the new jobs? And Jamez, maybe I'll start with you for this one. Uh, thank you, Bob. That's kind of like a, a softball. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you, you got to engage people. You have to let them know that there's an opportunity out there first. That's first and foremost. Uh, let them know that, that one, they can, they can actually save money. Attach things to the purse strings financially and people move a little bit different, right? So once you think about uh, that I can help you save money, right, by doing energy uh, efficiency project on your home. But then the idea that, that, hey, look, you can actually work in this industry. This is something that you're interested in. Um, and then show them what the what the financials look like. What can you make per hour? What is what is the workload look like? And then if they have an interest, then you can ultimately help them get pathways directly to it. And that's where the training center plays a critical role in this in terms of being having being a highly accessible facility uh, on, on Plymouth and uh, Fremont. Uh, the facility is outfitted with solar as a demonstration. So all these are demonstrations that are taking place are that have already taken place and are functional or will be uh, implemented. We've got solar on the building. We've got battery storage, which will make it the first virtual power plant in the country, in the North America, from what I'm told. Uh, we have a, a complete stormwater retrofit that's uh, managing all the stormwater on site. So yesterday when it rained, we had a big pond out in front, but it was intentional. Um, in addition, we have electric vehicle charging stations on site. And we have a heat pump system that'll put the gas utility on standby. So the facility itself is intended to be a living laboratory for individuals to have the opportunity to engage, understand, see, and then work and learn all on site. And then from there, it's about getting them connected with the right people who want to hire. That's so awesome, Jamez. I think the, the learning lab concept is so exciting. And I think you're exactly right. Just being able to engage with something allows you to envision it and envision yourself in it. And I, I love the, the fact that you raised that. Um, Nina or, or Bob, anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ben, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, I would like to do, you know, more of an education to the um, to the people who are going to be hiring to the, to the court, you know, to the companies, to the, you know, to, you know, doing education to these people that, you know, like myself, the business owners, right? Like, you know, you're talking about, you want to help people of color and people that are low income to get into this field. I mean, you have to understand sometimes the bus doesn't come on time. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a transportation problem. Maybe there's a babysitting problem. You know, I mean, there, there are just things there. There are cultural things that I think that that these like owners of these companies need to understand, um, because, you know, you can hurt people. You, you can you know, you can you can really damage people if you set them up for a great job. And uh, maybe they couldn't make it because they couldn't find a babysitter. And then all of a sudden you fire them. But you don't know the situation. You know what I mean? So there's got to be some type of training also for the people that are doing the hiring. You know what I mean? 
Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I think what Jamez said is great, that, that, that's really important. But, but I think one of the, the, the key factors of that is on the other side of that, that teeter-totter, right? The people are doing the hiring. So they need to go through some type of like, you know, education as far as like, you know, you want to be reaching out to BIPOC communities and hiring people. You, you need to get some education on what their, what pitfalls are going to be there. So that, that's what I would like to see, Ben. I, I so appreciate that point, Bob. And I, I just want to um, mention, you know, I think Eric uh, raises an interesting question in the Q&A that speaks to that um, somewhat. And, and he asked, what are the biggest non-skill barriers to employment faced by the communities you work in and with? Um, besides getting the training and education itself, what stops people from getting the jobs? Um, and so, Bob, I think you just spoke to that a little bit, but um, just for all three of you, I would love to hear um, and Nina, I know we didn't uh, necessarily touch on training and education with you specifically, but um, any thoughts around um, just non-skill barriers um, that, that haven't been raised yet already in the course of our conversation? I guess if I was going to kind of pick up from both pieces, I think uh, Bob's point about uh, relationships, and I, I think we're hearing that from everybody here in this discussion is um, these businesses need to have touch points in the community. And so either being led from the community, in which case you're already embedded and understand what some of those challenges can be. But if not, there is a responsibility to, uh, to understand what those, those issues are. And it cannot be um, a day of job posting kind of relationship, right? We've, we've seen that over and over again, where people don't understand why they're not getting uh, diverse candidates and, and um, better success in their hiring because they don't have those relationships. And so I think relationship building can start now and just keep getting stronger and stronger. And then they'll understand what some of those uh, concerns and limitations are going to be. And, and I think that's been a persistent issue for <laughs> probably hundreds of years, right? So it is, it is something that I think has to change. Um, and just on the last topic, really quickly, I'll note that I think uh, where that can start is in the schools, right? So we already have um, schools that have underinvestment and education that has underinvestment. And so if uh, that public-private partnership can be both an investment uh, into supporting schools and green job exposure, um, I think that that creates more, it, it creates the relationship, it solves some of the problems and getting young people early to understand what incredible jobs there are in this sector. So uh, I come from, my, my dad taught at South Minneapolis High School and my brother is a teacher in Robbinsdale. And I just, uh, so I just always see that if we can make those touch points um, when they're younger so that they know that that's an opportunity for them, that seems like a really great way to tackle some um, key areas there. And, and Ben, if, if I could just say too real quick, you know, had a situation with, with a couple of my guys uh, a couple of weeks ago you know, my, my, my supervisor basically said, Bob, maybe we shouldn't hire these guys, keep these guys on. And I just basically told him, I says, you know, here at Solar Bear, I want to build solar projects, but I also want to build people. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's, you know, and so I didn't give up on them. And they're working today. They're installing today. And, you know, he's told me that they've gotten better. You know what I mean? They are showing up on time now. So, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, like this, there, there's got to be that mindset of the of the of, of our business owners too that they got to get an education too and how to deal with you know uh, our communities. Absolutely, thank you, Bob, and thank you, Nina. Uh, Jamez, how about you? And any non-skill barriers to to raise here? Sure, I think um, you know I, I can appreciate Bob's point. I think it's absolutely imperative, especially with the fact that we're talking about BIPOC communities who haven't traditionally been engaged. What's important to understand is that we need to be more sensitive and understanding with that population. If they haven't, they haven't had this opportunity before, they may not necessarily know exactly what is expected of them, right? And yes, being on time is number one, right? And being able to do your job is number two. But yes, there are issues that will arise. And, and there is, some, other side, there is some, some stuff on the other side that we need as business owners need to be sensitive to. I go through it, Bob goes through it. And it's challenging, right? It is challenging, especially when you're, you have something that you need to get done. You've made a promise to a client and you have to deliver on that promise. And that's, that's, that's challenging. And, and as frustrating as you may be about the issues that may have arisen with the individual, you have, we cannot, I cannot be, I'll say I can't. I have to be more understanding, right? Because I know coming from where I come from, anything could have happened, right? My brother was sick over the weekend, right? 
I mean, I'm, obviously I'm still doing what I got to do, but I mean, if I wasn't the owner of the company, you know, my, my level of commitment to this isn't as high as it is because it's my brother, right? Um, you know, and we're dealing with an unprecedented level of violence in North Minneapolis right now. I mean, you're somebody's brother, nephew, cousin, you know, that gets shot on a daily basis almost, right? And it's disappointing. And you don't know what the situation is. So, I mean, being understanding is, 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 is extremely important. Uh, and, and, and also acknowledging the fact that as on the other side, you know, as the, as the business owner, you don't know and you can't feel, you got to have compassion, right? I mean, one, two, three, four, right? Not the three strikes route, maybe four, right? But some of these, and some of these people don't, have not had the project management experience, right? They've, they've had an internship at it. They haven't necessarily had the full job, but they've had an internship. And it's up to us if we want to start to see this transition happen. We need to be more patient as business owners. We need to be more understanding, and we have to we have to be willing to to, to walk with them and even train them in the process. I mean, not technically, yeah, the physical hands-on training, but also helping them understand what's expected of them too. Thank you, Jamez. I I really appreciate that that invitation and that encouragement to think differently and that willingness to be responsive to the circumstances of the folks that we're working with, that we're engaging with, and just realize that if we're going to have equitable job growth, it takes equitable viewpoints and, and responsiveness to how we are all um, showing up in this work together. So I really appreciate that. Um, so I want to move to the next question um, in the Q&A from uh, Courtney, um, who asks, what is the single most important aspect of energy transitions that enable a community to be prepared to value or make these requests of their leaders, um, their states, their leaders, um, their political decision makers. Um, Courtney said, it seems to me that this is a top-down policy-driven industry without a grassroots capacity building approach. Um, so I'll, I'll uh, volley that all to you and um, anyone who would like to jump in, please feel free. I'll, I'll, I'll kick this one off. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yes, policy does drive a lot of things, right? And so, um, you know, as a you know, as a business owner, as a person who's helped with policy, as a former Humphrey Policy Fellow and someone who's lobbied at the Capitol, um, you know, it's you can't be in all places at one time, right? But we need to start developing those relationships at the ground level, right? And not start, I mean, just continue to develop those relationships. And and while we're developing those relationships, showing the value proposition that it starts to bring. Being a North, being a resident of North Minneapolis, we have some of the highest pollution rates, right? And highest asthma rates is what I mean. And so the challenge is, is like we can actually help to fix our own issues, right? And that's what I focus on. I like if it's an issue of unemployment, if it's an issue of, of, of training, if it's an issue of whatever it may be, we need to be the people that we've been waiting for. We cannot wait on anybody else to come for us. We got to do what we need to do. And so by having those conversations and committing and, and allowing, like what I'm, I'm very appreciative of is the resources that the University of Minnesota puts out around community engagement, right? Because not a lot of people want to pay for that. Right. I mean, the city of Minneapolis has done a lot of a lot of engagement around the Upper Harbor Terminal, but we don't see a whole lot of engagement around energy issues. Right. And then there's a, and, and, and getting some resources for those organizations um, like Community Power that go out and do organize community. Right. And those are I mean, there, there's a groundswell. It's just kind of like fragmented. It's a lot of different little pieces that are happening. And we need to have uh, um, and, and not like like Bob said, check your ego at the door. Right. Big organization, little organization. Everybody's got a voice and we need to figure out how to work collectively to get that that groundswell to meet in the middle from with the people at the top. Right. So then everybody can start to communicate and especially with our legislators. Right. Because they're very, very busy. They've got all these different things, priorities, competing priorities, interests, right, goals of their own. And, you know, we have to be understanding that we need to come as a collective at some point with the mission <laughs> to really fix the problem. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to get the legislation passed for the training center, very grateful with um, um, Representative Long and, and Senator Chamberlain, who were who, who willing to work across the aisle, right? I mean, but at the same time, the person on the street isn't gonna have that relationship. So we, there's, there's, there's kind of like this, this vertical integration process where we can all start to work together and everybody can, can, can get it done. Thanks, Jamez. Sorry about that. Representative Fooley was also assisted in that process too. Great. Uh, Nina, were you about to jump in? Yeah, it was uh, just to share a few thoughts, um, piggybacking on, on 
I think some really good points there. Um, so first of all, I think historically, unless there is something being cited in someone's neighborhood or there's that direct community impact, energy has seemed like something that happens. Decisions are made somewhere else. You don't know who the person is in charge. There's not an office in your neighborhood that you'd go and say, I don't like what's happening. So it is. it has been so separate from the community for so long. And not to say that utilities and others don't have community engagement, but it is just not at that, truly at that neighborhood level. It's just not built to be that way. And I, again, I think that's changing. And it's again, why I push for the more that we have these community led initiatives, the more voice it, it offers. Um, but I, I think that this trying to figure out how to do this at that block by block level or to to get to folks so that they say, oh, if you mean if I show up, I could have influence. I think we have to make sure that we're not only sharing power, but helping people recognize them. I, I think, you know, again, that point that was just made as far as you have to come in numbers, right? It, um, it, it's great if you got five loud people in your neighborhood, um, but those five people need to go door knock and get 50. And, and I'm grateful to, to Fresh Energy and, and Climate Generation and Sierra Club and many other organizations that have been doing that outreach certs um, and others that are uh, making sure that people know they have an opportunity. Uh, but I think we all know that it doesn't get to everybody. Um, so I think supporting the organizations that are getting door to door and getting to churches and getting to neighborhood groups and neighborhood leaders. Um, I, you know, when I make my charitable donations, those are the folks that I'm supporting and um, trying to lift up their work. Uh, I'm appreciative to that neighborhood work, but I, I think, um, you know, for, I know Courtney already does some of this work, but making sure that we are um, helping bring more people to the table and then making sure that they have a large enough voice to have influence and that they know that that's possible. Great. Thanks, Nina. Um, so we are just about on time. Um, I'm, I'm going to uh, close with one last question from Jean in the Q&A and recognizing that we've got um, a couple of folks who uh, do solar work and are also um, supporting solar work um, going forward. Um, Jean asked, I'm a homeowner who has recently installed rooftop solar. Um, Jean says, I love it. Um, do you uh, offer a means for someone like me to help others afford solar? Um, or um, can you uh, share ideas of other organizations um, or entities that, that can support more affordable solar in Minnesota? Bob, Jamez, Nita, any, anybody want to take that one away? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Cooperative Energy Futures, I mean, they, you know, Timothy, those guys, spectacular. They do a credible job. Um, they're always, you know, doing stuff for like you know, project for pride and living, you know, PPL, they do all that stuff. Um, and then, um, so supporting them, um, also, I mean, like MNIPL, right. They do all these bulk buys and, um, they work with uh, installers and whatnot. So I would say, you know, reaching out to those organizations, um, uh, would, could, um, you know, could help with, uh, getting people, um, more interested or, uh, with solar and the MREA also does bulk wise too. So, um, that's another way to supporting those organizations that put together those, those kinds of packages, um, really helps other, you know, um, homeowners, um, in, in the, in the community, um, you know, all do it together because it's more affordable than, you know, and then, and then for the contractor, you know, they don't have to drive all over town now. They could just like do like three, four, five houses in the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? So like those kinds of things, I think. And, and also too, um, you know, it, statistics show that like when one house gets it, like another house wants to get it and because the neighbors all talk to each other. So I think stuff like that uh, is really uh, uh, exciting and, and so support those organizations. I would agree with Bob. Bob mentioned all the ones that I would have mentioned. I was concerned he's gonna forget MREA. <laughs> which we both serve on the board of, but I'm glad you covered it. <laughs> awesome. Nina, any, any to add? I was just going to note that in, I know in some of the Minneapolis and St. Paul neighborhoods, the uh, neighborhood organizations have started funds uh, to like complement some of their other uh, community block grant programs uh, for energy efficiency um, and you know, making sure that we're not just doing solar, but we're doing the energy efficiency work as as well. So, um, if someone's in in their neighborhood, that's that's another just local uh, option. Or if they don't have it already, you could maybe push them to start one. 
Great. Thank you all. All great recommendations. Um, so we are at the end of our hour here. Um, so I do just want to say on behalf of everyone here at Fresh Energy, um, thank you for attending part two of our intersection of energy and community webinar series. Um, and my sincere gratitude and huge thanks, especially to Nina, Bob and Jamez for sharing their time with us today. Um, I so appreciate your time, your energy and your insights. And it was great to um, talk with you and learn more about you and your work. Um, a recording of this webinar will be posted at fresh-energy.org slash publications. Um, it will be available on our YouTube channel and on our podcast, Decarbonize the Clean Energy Podcast, which is available on all podcasting apps. You can learn more about Fresh Energy's work at www.fresh-energy.org. And you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out the latest on our blog, and make a donation today. Thank you all so much for attending and see you next Thursday. Thank you for tuning in to the audio recording of our webinar. If you're hungry for more or want to get involved, visit fresh-energy.org. As Ben mentioned during the webinar, we recently announced the keynote speaker for our 2021 virtual benefit breakfast that we are calling Future Focus, the New Climate Economy. The breakfast will take place on October 14th, and we are so pleased to welcome award-winning climate tech entrepreneur, Donnell Baird, CEO of Brooklyn-based Block Power. Register at fresh-energy.org slash benefit breakfast. And finally, you can support Fresh Energy's work today by making a donation. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.